So I just got back from a two-week stint uh, with a publication up in the NT. And basically, I think it was last, not last week, but the week before on Wednesday or Thursday, there's this LGBT plus mural in town. Uh, It's got all the rainbow flags on it. Um, and also this, which I found really interesting because I don't think we have this in Nam. They have like the triangles for sex workers as well. So there's, it's kind of like a solidarity between queers uh, and sex workers. And there's also a mural above it of quite a prominent, um, sex worker activist. So the mural's quite new. It was only uh, intro- uh, painted in, I think, March this year, but basically it got uh, defaced. So someone just spray painted all over the top, um, which was horrible, of course. But I think what was the more compelling part of the story is uh, the queer community organized, came together and basically restored the mural to its former glory. They all had a little snap action and they brought snacks and stuff and paint um, and they just repainted it, which is pretty, it's a pretty cool like story of community resilience. But, you know, I, I filed that on, um, I think the Friday afternoon being like, Oh, that's so beautiful. And then the next day there was another um, defacing more vandalism. So basically someone put, a few slurs uh, on the the rainbow, um, but then once again they came together, the queers, um, and repainted it. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty frightening um, to think there's yeah, very overt displays of homophobia and transphobia. But I think there was some very inspiring elements to the story too. Yeah, no, the the fact that the community so quickly like jumped on it and, and covered the the hate speech was yeah mm. fantastic to see. Mm. Um, and yeah, I do love the the solidarity between sex workers and the queer community in Darwin. Um, like it was decriminalized a lot earlier in the territory there, so there's just that flow and effect and that understanding there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and moving away from Darwin and uh, moving away from your work as well, just speaking more broadly, um, how do you feel about kind of recent local headlines and reporting on queer events? Uh, yeah, this is a great question because there's been so many things happening over the last couple of months. I mean, we had that. Uh, try not to swear fiasco at Parliament House with uh, Kelly J uh, and the Nazis and then we've also had all of this crazy stuff happening with uh, the drag story times um, being protested so I I think the reporting on this event uh, for me I can definitely see both sides of the coin as you know someone who's involved in the journalism industry but also someone who's a community member so it does feel like there's you know walking um, walking into I don't know the saying I'm going for here but have my hand in both Um, and journalism's a hard job like generally you get given a story in most professional newsrooms you have one to two days uh, tops to turn that around you're expected to present this very nuanced and balanced piece um, of work and it's very public too so if you if you fail like everyone can read it Um, I think overall you know, I feel like there has been a lot of ethical issues that come up with these sorts of events. Uh, one, for example, is the the sharing of, of slurs. So I think, um, for example, in um, a very mainstream Victorian publication, uh, the headline was, you know, pedophiles, um, drag story time protesters, storm council meeting. And um, I think for a lot of people in the community would think, yeah, it's um, 
like that needs to happen. We need to hear what's being said about us. But a lot of people as well probably would be against that because, you know, sharing the slur kind of does embolden the people who are saying it. So slurs is definitely a big issue. Um, Another thing was that often, like, it focuses on um, the conflict and that's sort of just the nature of news is that, you know, if it bleeds, it reads. So I find with a lot of these, um, the reporting on these events, it's very much centred around, like, okay, X party said this, Y party said this, you know, there was a... Um, a face-off at, at Parliament House or wherever, and it, it doesn't really take um, or offer the chance to give a strengths-based approach about one minority group was under attack, here's how they responded. So that's another kind of thing that's sort of, I think it's just embedded into how news works. Uh, wording is also quite important too. I think you can be very strategic in your choice of words, particularly around this time now and we're seeing this real culture war on trans people and using particular phrases can really fan the flames of that and it's important to be frank and honest and you know i think an example would be uh that nazi rally i was mentioned earlier about you know you can say it was a let women speak rally gate crashed by nazis which kind of feels like a very um detached or trying to balance out like you know it's, what it is you're losing a lot of key details and trying to condense like that day mm. i feel in saying that yeah yeah gate crashed by nazis like that's a very kind of loaded word isn't it like they it implies they weren't there for the rally they were there for themselves um or you could say what you know in my personal opinion it, it wasn't a let women speak it was an anti-trans rally yeah. and it was attended by nazis because they were there because they believe in the same stuff right so um That wording can be quite important. And I think as well with a lot of readers who, you know, might not know a trans person or this might be their only engagement with the LGBTQIA plus community, it's sort of important to differentiate, like, what each group stands for. So, yeah. I guess, like, in that vein, uh, what what do you think we should, like, consider as media when reporting on the queer community? Mm, That's a important question. I think um, a lot of newsrooms struggle with this because there's a real lack of diversity across the board with all different sorts of groups um, in commercial media particularly. And so a lot of these journalists who are reporting on on these affairs are coming from an outsider perspective and, and there might be a bit of lack of literacy around you know what the community is and, and what the real issues on the ground are. Um, another thing that I think media needs to take in mind when reporting is not giving um, and a sort of uh, like weighting one group's opinion more than it needs to. And I think that in particular is happening around this discussion with, you know, gender critical feminists or TERFs and that a lot of the time their views are being substantiated because it's being presented as like, oh, here's a movement of, you know, a growing movement of women who have these real and legitimate concerns when really if you peel back the layers of that movement, it's very much built on misinformation and prejudice and bigotry. So I think it's important to to keep that in mind and know kind of that, you know, the views of TERFs should not be equalised with the views of the LGBT plus community, um, in my opinion. 
another point that I think is important is that the media so often relies on elite sources for their um, stories, and that often comes down logistically because you have like probably one or two days, so you're kind of calling up every. Just this is my experience calling up every single person, and whoever picks up the phone, like you're in, you know, you're the voice. Um, and as a result, it's a lot easier to go through these well-resourced organisations who have media teams, and so the people that get put forward to speak are often those who are in positions of power, which predominantly is white cis middle-aged um, people who, you know, I still have great things to say, um, are still part of the community. But I think a lot of the time that leaves voices out who are you know, a little more disadvantaged or facing a few different intersections of um, marginalization, which can really limit the discussion. And I think a good example of that would be at World Pride earlier this year when um, the LGBT plus equality fund for Asia and the Pacific was announced. Like most of the voices speaking on that were coming from people who are Australian and white Australian. And I was like, well, this is a great opportunity to talk to someone who isn't white uh, from the queer community because, you know, they exist, funnily enough. So, yeah, lots of things to, to take to keep in mind. Yeah. Man, so much trying to process that. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely would agree. Um, the idea of like uh, media treating the like attacks on trans people from like turf ideology as this like debate when it's like uh, you're, yeah, you're airing people like criticizing uh, someone's identity, someone's like right mm. to exist, and it can be yeah, uh, like a lot of media maybe just because they're like unfamiliar with these ideas will just like publish hate speech thinly veiled as like a turf ideology mm-hmm. that's it it comes down to a lack of literacy i think and a lack of critical thought which often it's probably because they uh you know by the time they have a chance to think that onto the next story so there's really no time to reflect <laughs> yeah no it's very fair i guess um, um what would you change in queer affairs reporting Mm, I think much more of a focus on intersectionality would be um, my main thing. And that's kind of why I love community radio. You know, at 3CR, we have, I think, five different queer programs now. Um, We've got uh, PX Vano, which is like a Pacifica queer LGBT plus program. We've got one for aging queer people. Um, We've got my show, Queering the Air, which kind of takes some more... I guess, alternative, um, radical approach. And then we've still got, you know, our other flagship shows, um, Out of the Pan, which is um, featuring a a pansexual trans woman, Sally Goldner, um, Bicon of Melbourne, um, and then also James McKenzie on In Your Face every Friday, which has been another another great show. So more intersectionality, more diversity, um, and I think more consideration for the implications of words and how the community feels about those certain issues that I was sort of mentioning before. Yeah, no, definitely agree with that. And yeah, kind of in that vein, like considering the duty of care you have when you're bringing like trans people in Mm. to talk to them, to interview them, it's like you don't want to then put them across from someone who like has this ideology that doesn't want them to exist, if that makes sense. Like, Mm. yeah, just like taking care of people, listeners and people that are like you're having to talk to to report. Not endangering them, yeah, yeah. is a, a, bi- a big thing. Um, not putting them on a, a, pedest- a platform where they can be exposed to bigotry and, and hatred online. For sure. And, and yeah, I love what you said. Uh, I also love community radio. Mm. Um, I feel like community media in general can be a great space for allowing more diversity just in the nature of, like, how it's run. Um, especially, like, 
3CR as like one of the oldest stations uh, mm-hmm. in the country, one of the first queer programs in the country with uh, the Gay Liberation Gay Liberation Radio by the Gay Liberation Front. Mm. Uh, so yeah, very interesting history there. A lot more kind of like diverse voices outside of the shows you mentioned as well. There's other kind of programs as well that kind of come and go that have yeah just a lot of different queer opinions in the community. Mm. which is great to see. So, yeah, I guess all that to say, what's it like hosting Queer in the Air on 3CR? Yeah, it's been super fun, um, challenging as well. I joined in October 2021, uh, and since then, like, you're probably familiar with the struggles of trying to... um, manage a show run by volunteers. So it's very much been a come and go situation with a lot of our hosts. Um, at the moment, it's me uh, and my co-host, Sasha Sidek, who's this amazing um, trans Singaporean activist. So it's been really good. We cover kind of a whole smorgasbord of different queer issues and topics. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago after the the Nazi turf rally had a really great chat with um, a trans union leader activist, Amy Sargent, about you know uh, a really critical discussion on the turf movement, which I actually learned a lot myself. And I thought this is this is so great because I don't think there's been space for this um, in other media. You know, we've had discussions with some really obscure um, groups. There was one called the Queer uh, Death Collective, and they run like queer death cafes. Um, where they bring LGBT plus people together to talk about death, which was like so niche, but so interesting. Um, We also have done a lot of historical topics too. So one of my favorite episodes is when we talked to the Queer Indonesian Archives, um, which is a a project um, run by Siti Visatya and Bo Newham, I think, looking at the the queer history of Indonesia, which is something that's been so undocumented before. So that was really exciting to give a platform to that. Um, Also had a really great chat with uh, Dr. David Gold about his new book on the lives of post-war homosexuals um, in Australia, which was great. And yeah, just a lot of like social activism-y stuff, but also a lot of fun community things to like artists um Dodi Versace uh spoke to Miss First Nations Aurelia St. Clair um sorry Miss First Nations is Cerulean and Aurelia St. Clair is a separate <laughs> comedian yeah, yeah. um yeah spoke to House of Silky so yeah it's it's been really fun and I think it's it's really shown me how diverse and so many what um so many different things are happening in the community for sure, yeah, I love that. Cerulean and Dodi Versace, both friends of Loud and Queer as well. The last oh, year. Great people. Yeah. Yeah, I guess going back to, I kind of mentioned it before, but um, do you think the historical context of 3CR has like allowed Queering the Air to exist as it is now? Like this idea of, you mm. know, when the Gay Liberation Front was being like harassed by police for running their little radio show on 3CR, um, they weren't like kicked out of the station because that was too much trouble for them. They still held that space for that group to exist and now you know we are where we are today um Mm, definitely yeah i think 3cr is such an important platform that exists because it showcases so many marginalized voices that have just been denied a platform to any kind of media um to speak about the issues that are going on in their community And something that I really love is that it's all led by community for community. It doesn't take, 
you know, that approach that we were talking about before in mainstream media where often it's an outsider who's very divorced and detached from the issues of, you know, what's going on on the ground. So I think I really value that 3CR has been able to hold a space and it's had a long history of activism and um, rebellion and, and kind of being the, the, the self-described voice of dissent, you know, three, uh, Melbourne's most radical radio. So, um, yeah, I definitely really valued that. And Crewing the Air as well has been on the air for over 10 years now. So it started in 2012. There was a group of people um, who had quite a, a radical view about policing at Pride. And so they wanted a platform to talk about that and I think it's it's really great and obviously it's changed and evolved I don't think we're definitely not as um, political and as radical as it once was um, but we still kind of hold true to those values around you know not being afraid to critique police and not being afraid to critique power so which yeah holds true to the essence of 3CR I think. For sure and even like if you personally as the people that run Queering the Air don't feel that way there's you know spaces at 3cr and other shows like satellite skies where they will Mm. you know go there with those conversations um yeah yeah no it's definitely it's a great space i love it there shout out to community radio at large yes um cool well i guess moving on now uh at loud and queer we love to just chat about queer identity as well so more broadly what's your relationship like with queerness in the queer community Mm, it's a very comfortable one now. I feel very myself when I'm around the LGBTs. I feel like um, I've had to do a lot of mode switching between, you know, different settings that I'm in, whether it's like at work or at university or with family. But um, I just feel like when I'm around my queer friends, it's just a non-judgmental space where I can bring my full self um, and that obviously hasn't always been the case. Like, I think my story is very similar to a lot of queer people where it's one of, you know, years of internalised homophobia and the the classic um, high school bullying. Um, but I feel quite fortunate that I've been well supported by my family. So, you know, it came out when I was 17 um, and my mom, when I told her, wrote me this big letter where she was like, oh, if anyone has anything to say about it, like, you send them to me. Um, so that was really sweet. And then my dad, it was much more uneventful. We were watching um, The Voice on TV and I got to a commercial break and I was like, um, dad, can you like turn down the TV? Like, I have something to tell you. And then we like put it on mute. And then I was like, oh, like, I don't know what I am, but, you know, I'm attracted to the same sex. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, that's fine mate like just be safe so I think I got um the classic dad tick of approval there um and I also have to give a big shout out to my first boyfriend Peter who was like so instrumental in bringing out the queerness in me I think I was the most like boring person before I met him like the way he gave me a sense of fashion um and uh introduced me to like drag race and all these like amazing queer cultural things so yeah it's definitely grown and evolved um like many people yeah for sure but yeah that's great to hear um love it when the family's supportive Mm. and and yeah i love that idea of like just evolving as you grow up and getting used to like different versions of queerness as you as you age so very relatable definitely um in in that vein uh Going back to like, if you could speak to your, you know, sixteen-year-old self, maybe even younger, younger. Uh, yeah. What would your message be to your more closeted self? 
my gosh. Wow. What a, I feel like I'm on um, RuPaul's Drag Race when they, they show up the photo. They're like, what do you have to say to young Jacob? <laughs> I think I would just tell them, like, stop giving a fuck about what people think. Like, just be yourself. Because really, once you do that, you know, you're living such a more freer, more authentic life. And even now, living in Melbourne, I'm still finding that I'm, you know, performing to meet people's expectations of what I should um, be like. But I think slowly, you know, just getting used to the fact that, like, I'm me and people can take it or leave it. So, yeah, I think I would just say stop caring so much and just (laughs) just be you um, and have fun. (laughs) 